Welcome to the Safety Talks podcast presented by Safopedia.com, empowering the workplace with free health and safety information. I'm your host, Pat Robinson. Safety Talks seeks to educate and inform through our discussions with experts and influencers in all aspects of occupational health and safety. We cover current practices and new developments in emerging technologies, management systems, legislation, and safety best practices. Now, to today's guest. This is part two of my conversation with Catherine Smith. If you missed part one, Catherine works for the National Safety Council in the greater Chicago area, where she is the program manager of the Campbell Institute and the Campbell Awards. In this episode, we talk about the key elements of EHS sustainability and a great example of community involvement that contributes to that goal. Issues related to alignment of EHS goals, including the risks related to acquisitions and operational readiness. Finally, some discussion regarding social responsibility in EHS. Topics around holistic health and well-being, including on-site well-being programs that carry into community improving off-site activities that the 2018 award winner is excelling at. And now, Catherine Smith. So let's talk data management because this is my uh, sort of my wheelhouse, and I'm always interested. And in, we had you had mentioned earlier about leading and lagging indicators, and I, there's a new um, ANSI standard out um, that I don't frankly have really great reference points there um, regarding the integration of um, or at least the furtherance of scorecarding related to leading and lagging indicators. But in this area of um, data management, there's identifying risk and the indicators, and then um, sustainable sustainability. So let's chat a bit about those items. As I mentioned before, the identification of risk, really using the metrics to identify risk um, is all about prevention for most of these organizations. And, you know, the aspect or like the, I guess when we talk about small organizations, as we did a little bit ago, the idea of tracking uh, leading indicators is, is usually pretty daunting as there's definitely a learning curve when it comes to being able to accurately track a lot of information. And so the Campbell Institute actually put together a series of papers um, based on the practices of the Campbell Award winners and some of our members as well to really look at how an organization kind of goes or I guess the, the steps that the organization will take to kind of define what indicators uh, would be best for uh, each organization, uh, make sure they're aligned with the management system that they have, kind of, again, talking about that integration piece and why that's important, and then also kind of like implementation tips and how, how to actually get it started and, and, you know, make sure that they're correlating to something beneficial and things like that. But I will, there is kind of one overall overarching kind of third piece of this data management that I didn't talk about before, and that's uh, sustainability. Um, and so when we talk about sustainability, we're really, we're not specifically talking about kind of like the environmental aspects of sustainability, but sustainability as a whole organization. So making sure that you're using these metrics to track how well your business is performing and how sustainable your business is in the economy that that exists or kind of your your industry that you're working within. There's a lot of organizations that also kind of take it a step further to make sure that they're having some sort of positive effect 
on the world um, when they talk about sustainability. That that's where a lot of these organizations get into concepts like uh, product stewardship or cradle to cradle kind of production processes and yep. things like that. Right. So when we talk about sustainability, those are more or less the aspects that we're talking about. It's kind of like a holistic business. Are we creating a a business that will that is you know that is everlasting and also that you know some organizations like I said take it a step further. Are we making uh, you know we might be producing something, but at the end of the day, are we making the world a better place? That fits nicely with uh, theme eight, actually, and which is like the, the broader category of sustainability. And um, the story about Boeing or the information that I read online through your website regarding what, what Boeing is doing. Can you talk a little bit about their, uh, and, and the note I made was nonprofit participation, because um, it struck me what they're doing is very much more than just cutting checks. They've got uh, quite a bit more comprehensive and, and quite a bit more commitment to this element than one might suspect. I mean, at least, you know, again, anecdotally speaking, um, I, I had no visibility of of their commitment and the kinds of things that they were doing until I read this information at the Campbell Institute website. Can you talk a little bit about Boeing and what they're doing? I will say I'm not I'm not super familiar <laughs> with the information that they uh, that they talk about. I do know just from going through the process with Boeing um, and kind of understanding what their um, what their organization uh, does. I do know that they have a very strong organizational focus on uh, ex-military individuals uh, and veterans. Uh, yeah. A large portion of their um, employee bases act are, are veterans. So they a lot of what they do uh, through their community outreach kind of focuses on that aspect of it. And one thing that Boeing does that a lot of other organizations do as well is they really make sure that a lot of their integration with the community, their outreach within the community um, is truly community focused. Uh, so they kind of look at the greatest need for the, or, for the uh, communities where they operate, where they have facilities, and they uh, try to focus their uh, investments and their goals kind of in those areas of, of biggest need. Right. I mean, having been to their facility in uh, Renton, Washington, and you see the scale of that operation, you see the number of employees that they've got, it's really just not very surprising at all, the kinds of things that they, you know, once you kind of piece this background together, um, the impact that they have in that particular community and their uh, the hiring strategy that you've mentioned and, and various other things, um, it, it's really... Um, uh, a world-class effort that they're they're carrying off there, and um, the public awareness or public consciousness of this, perhaps you know, higher, obviously higher, I would think, in the state of Washington and the other areas where Boeing operates. But um, uh, really, just uh, it's a high bar that they've set. Um, there, there obviously may be other organizations doing uh, similar things and as worthwhile things as, as Boeing are, but um, they've obviously come to my attention through a previous award. Uh, through the Campbell Institute. So uh, just really high-end, uh, valuable things they're doing. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting you mentioned the uh, the Renton facility. So I've, I've actually been to that facility a couple times myself, and I think one of the things that really stands out to me and kind of the way that Boeing approaches their production, uh, taking into consideration like uh, their surroundings and the community and things like that, um, as I'm sure you know, their Boeing facility literally sits on Lake Washington. So yeah. the, the end of their facility it, you know, overlooks the lake. And so just um, you know, kind of understanding the, the impact that their organization could have right. on you know, just the environment in general being so close to a very large water supply. It's, it's really fascinating some of the very specific things that they do in the, in the environmental kind of realm. And it's, not, it's certainly not unique uh, just to that facility. Um, they have a out in uh, South Carolina, 
they have a plant outside of Charleston and um, kind of within uh, the, the greater uh, Charleston area, they have some uh, nature preserves uh, that they are assisting other organizations in tree planting. Uh, so they have, they have, they actually have some employees that kind of manage the um, natural resources in that area, mm-hmm. uh, planting trees that are, you know, uh, appropriate for that region and trying to, you know, um, kind of better uh, some of the lands there. So there's a, there is a lot of kind of environmentally focused things that they do on a community outreach level as well. Nice. Yeah, those are great things. So let's talk uh, about uh, alignment then, because we, we have touched on a couple of these items, but this is a particular theme within the award structure. Cost-benefit analysis, and I had made a note about the soft costs, business management strategies, EHS review of acquisitions, which um, is a really interesting sort of subset uh, because anytime an organization acquires another organization, there's um, risk attached to that. And uh, so that's um, a subtopic that caught my eye. And then this uh, issue of operational readiness. Yeah. So again, um uh, alignment, I, I will say that is somewhat uh, similar to the integration aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we typically talk about those together. Uh, but the alignment is pretty, as is, we've seen that the alignment of some of these more specific things that you mentioned is actually key to that, that entire section of integration. There has to be alignment among some of these key business uh, motivators and key business systems to actually get that proper integration that we're looking for for the Campbell Award winners. But some of just some of those aspects that we kind of noted and some of the similarities that we see uh, between the Campbell Award winners, um, as you mentioned, that first one being cost benefit analysis. And so this is a process that is very common that a lot of businesses do when uh, decision making. But when organizations have proper alignment and proper integration with EHS, there's often a lot of other factors that are taken into that uh, analysis. And, and as uh, they kind of, I guess we have named, we have named them along the years as those soft costs and benefits. So, you know, is this something that uh, if we make an investment in this area, is it going to improve employee morale or is it going to have a significant advantage in uh, EHS uh, practices in general? So is this something that if we spend the money on it, it might not actually at the end of the day make us a profit, but if there is a, you know, if there's a benefit that is, um, again, kind of soft, or there's a benefit that will help other aspects of the business beyond kind of our profit margin. Those kind of things are taken in consideration. And a lot of times, uh, EHS items in this kind of analysis are, are heavily weighted for a lot of the organizations. The issue of op- operational readiness, I mean, that struck me that it may have at least some overlap into uh, this area of safety to to pick your term, um, new new view, new vision. Um, there's various terms for what some of um, some new folks are talking about in terms of how safety is viewed in terms of capacity. So this is um, sort of um, an evolution away from rear end metrics, lagging lagging metrics, and and talking more about measuring safety and viewing safety as capacity, uh, an issue of capacity and measuring those things as opposed to um, outcomes from um, failed systems. So um, 
operational readiness, when you look at that in, in the overall, yes, there, there needs to be ability to execute whatever the, the work mandate is in terms of creating product or delivering service, those kinds of things. Um, but also things are, as mentioned, evolving in terms of how companies, particularly the, the, the larger leading organizations, are viewing the process of safety. So it just struck me that perhaps there's some uh, overlap between um, the operational piece versus the, the new view, quote unquote, of safety that um, currently is getting um, a lot of buzz. Yeah, so I, I would actually, uh, you know, uh, I guess agree with your, um, your, your direction here in the sense that, you know, operational ready, readiness um, for a lot of the organizations, like I said, a lot of the organizations that are, are more recent winners um, absolutely look at it in that way. They look at their ability, and I will say the operational readiness aspect as well as the anticipation of challenges aspect that I talked about before um, are, are very similar in the sense of how the organization looks at their capacity for safety. It's a, that's exactly right. And so, you know, in, in these sorts of situations, uh, again, like natural disasters or something like that, is an organization going to be able to continue uh, their operations, but also so, um, you know, are, is their organization able to, you know, maintain the, the safety of their workers and the processes uh, throughout that situation? Um, and also, uh, a lot of the organizations that we work with, um, they take into consideration their the, the capacity in relation to those communities that they work in as well. So, you know, if they're in a community where they, you know, something happens and not only is their business affected, but, you know, others around them, do they have the ability to provide assistance to the community to take action mm-hmm. and um, make sure that, the, you know, not only their own operations, but the community is, is able to um, continue. Right, and that dovetails nicely with uh, the tent theme, and and we've we've spoke in various bits through this regarding the issue of social responsibility. But um, mm-hmm. in here, there's corporate sponsorship, employee contributions. Uh, you had mentioned about the importance of uh, employees feeling a part of the process and uh, being empowered to uh, participate, community outreach holistic health and well-being and, and specifically what caught my eye here was on-site well-being programs that carry to off-site so that's um, uh, an interesting hopefully trend because there's just so many resources typically available on work sites that may not be available in the community so that's um, an interesting uh, piece and then that dovetails into employee recognition so let's talk about the social responsibility piece yeah, so the, the social responsibility piece is another piece that has drastically evolved uh, in the recent years. And I think the biggest reason for that is organizations kind of understand our, I guess, larger organizations these days understand their need or I guess the, a social need for them to be responsible. And I think this does come uh, with kind of the, the younger generation's need to make sure they're having a positive impact on the world. Um, and so organizations, you know, give employees opportunities to or kind of give them uh, different avenues to make sure that they have their, I guess, uh, satisfied in that way that they are being a socially responsible individual. Uh, but for most of our winners, what this is, uh, I guess we more generally talk about social responsibility as organizations being able to take their management processes, their their EHS management system, can different aspects of their business, and in, encourage and promote others to lead a healthy, safe, 
life on and off the job. And so that's why some of these aspects of social responsibility are kind of externally focused. And then the last two are, are more internally focused. So when, when we're looking externally, kind of the, the off the job or like the in the community kind of aspect, um, a lot of the organizations, um, they do kind of formal corporate sponsorships. Uh, so this is when we're talking about organizations who partner with uh, nonprofit organizations or, or kind of like local, uh, other local businesses and things like that. Um, to make investments of what a lot of them call uh, in, uh, projects of betterment. So these are typically things where they'll use some sort of their production process or, or actually maybe even the items they're producing. For example, uh, our winner USG, um, if you're not familiar, they actually make wallboard, like drywall, things like that. Um, so uh, USG will partner with other organizations like Habitat for Humanity because they're right. building homes and they can actually donate the product you know, that they're manufacturing within the organization. Right. Um, and kind of in, in, in relation to that as well as their employee contributions in relation to kind of those sponsorships. So um, a lot of the Campbell Award winners will actually incentivize their employees to um, go out and do work in, uh, you know, for nonprofit organizations or to make financial donations. And then their organization will either p give them paid time. Um, so let's say, you know, you have, you know, eight hours this year or four hours or whatever it might be. You know, you have some paid time where you can go and, and actually volunteer at other organizations, uh, whether it is within this corporate sponsorship or not. Um, and also if employees make a certain amount of financial contribution, the, their organization will, you know, meet or match that uh, donation to the organization. And then, um, as we've talked about before, you know, just in general, some, you know, the community outreach where a lot of the plants, I think we were talking about um, for Boeing specifically, but this definitely applies to all of the Campbell Award winners is that they really look at where uh, their business operates so at the specific facilities and what is the uh, biggest thing that that community is concerned with and they try to work with the community to be able to improve uh, whatever aspect that might be. And those are the ones, like I said, that I mentioned are kind of the externally focused, the kind of off the job focused aspects of the social responsibility kind of portion. But the more internally focused, as you mentioned, the, the holistic uh, health and well-being system. So a lot of these organizations, you know, it's pretty common for um, companies to have the idea that they want you to leave as safe as you were the when you came to work in the morning. But a lot of these uh, organizations, and specifically the one that excelled here was Cummins, they made the statement that they want their employees to go home healthier than they came. Um, so they have a very extensive health and well-being program. Um, and like I said, um, as this is an aspect that is very much changing that rapidly, um, as a lot of the organizations are focusing on, you know, the actual health and wellness kind of aspects, um, not just occupational health anymore. And some of these programs, you know, they range anywhere from like weight loss programs or uh, smoking cessation, things like that. But they'll really try to uh, work with their employee base to make sure that they are, uh, you know, a healthier individual at the end. And then more generally, uh, a lot of the winning organizations have very extensive employee recognition programs. And so this is something that I, I guess there's an overall understanding from our Campbell Award winners that it is important to recognize their employees for a job well done, uh, but not do it in a way that is insincere. So there's a lot of aspects that are, again, are very specific per facility, but they will encourage or incentivize employees in a way that 
uh, is not typically financial. Uh, they look for ways in which to kind of improve employee morale and things like that. But specific, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the conversation, but specific like incentivization of uh, employees is not always the best way that, you know, it's not always very positively looked at. But a lot of the organizations have found a way to recognize employees in a way that where they are able to get their employees to behave differently or to, you know, just essentially just be happier uh, to come to work and make, make sure that, you know, that the work environment is a, is a good place for them to be. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't agree more. There's a, there's a world of difference between incentivizing an employee not to report <laughs> yeah. an injury versus... Exactly. That's why I felt like I needed to <laughs> needed to specify that. When I say incentivize, I don't specifically mean that. I just mean, you know, that they're, they are, you know, looking for ways that they're, they're um, you know, their employees will essentially feel better about whatever is happening, right? Sure. I mean, it, it's uh, entirely progressive and a, a great thing to be doing where employers are basically enabling employees to go out into the community and volunteer and support the community in some fashion and, and presumably bring some knowledge and you know sort of DNA transfer from the workplace into the community in terms of safety culture and safety knowledge, those kinds of things, and then be recognized back at the workplace for those offsite uh, contributions. I mean, this is just, you know, a, a really extremely worthwhile step in the right direction from the conventional employee recognition that was typically entirely focused around um, rear end and metrics, lagging metrics and um, absence of bad things. So instead, you're incentivizing and recognizing formally good things and, and uh, positive inputs to a system, albeit in this case, an off the site system, uh, community outreach kind of activity. That's all kinds of brilliant. I would agree. You summarize that perfectly. <laughs> so, Catherine, to wrap up, let's talk about um, the 2018 nominees and the eventual winner and tell our audience a little bit about uh, those organizations. The organizations that apply for the Campbell Award, we actually don't make that public. Um, so I can't talk specifically about who those organizations are, but we certainly had a good group of companies from uh, a diverse uh, industry background. Um, the two companies that I can talk about um, – uh, throughout the process of the award, we identify uh, finalist organizations, and both of those organizations have uh, chosen to become public with that information. So the two finalists that we identified um, was Parsons Corporation, uh, as well as the Boeing Company, and the Boeing Company is actually the organization that went on to win the award this year. Parsons Corporation, I'll start with them a little bit. So Parsons is, is more or less a very diverse organization. They kind of claim to be, they, they talk about themselves as a technology-focused defense and infrastructure firms. So they do anything from kind of cybersecurity for different organizations, as well as, you know, actual, inf uh, they create plans for infrastructure, like they'll put bids in for building bridges or different buildings and things like that. So they, yeah. uh, in themselves, they have a very diverse business structure, but um, they were actually named one of our finalists. So we got to spend a week with them uh, learning about their organization um, and they were certainly uh, an organization that is on the right track and have some extremely good practices within their EHS management system. But the winner of the award this year uh, was the Boeing Company. And uh, I'm sure 
you are very familiar with what Boeing does, but um, so they are an aerospace company. So um, they're the ones that, you know, make lots of airplanes, like commercial airplanes that we all fly in. Uh, but they also make uh, defense and uh, space systems right. or uh, space and security systems, I think is how they how they refer to it. So um, they make a lot of, uh, of really impactful things. But I think, you know, the one thing that they're all kind of known about, known for is making those aircraft that we're, uh, that we all fly in, you know, when we take our commercial flights. But so Boeing is a is a very interesting company. They're a very old organization. And I think that throughout their history, they have had a very, they've had a very interesting story when it comes to, to EHS. Um, and one of the biggest aspects, um, one of the most impressive aspects of their operations is that uh, within the last five years or so, they have they have made a huge effort uh, in decreasing the injuries that within their organization, and they've been extremely successful in that. And that that is not something that can, you know, that can be um, ignored in their history. That they're they're doing a fantastic job uh, in a very short amount of time. Uh, but something else that I think is very impressive uh, with Boeing is actually their environmental practices. Every year they do what is called an eco-demonstrator. I guess it's their eco-demonstrator program. And each year uh, what they do is they have uh, aircraft that is testing a lot of environment, more, I guess, uh, more environmentally friendly technologies. So whether it's anything from fuel economy, uh, reduce uh, reducive uh, noise, uh, their ecological footprint of the airplane, the actual manufacturing of the airplane. So this eco-demonstrator program is really a way that Boeing is kind of taking the responsibility to improve the overall environmental impact of the airline industry. Mm-hmm. That is something that's extremely important, um, especially when you take into consideration how many planes are in the air at once when it comes to, especially in the U.S., just how, how big of an impact that can really have. But I think something else, um, and kind of very much along those lines, that's uh, that was very impressive about Boeing is their uh, research and development groups, and you know, an extension of those groups, just the individual employees that take it upon themselves to look for a better way of doing something. So airplane manufacturing, um, I'm not sure if you know or not, but airplane manufacturing is still a very manual operation. It is not automated like cars or something, you know. a car manufacturing plant or something. These are there's still individual people making all of these aircraft, and so ergonomic risk is a huge problem for them, just because they do have so many in people actually building these aircraft. Uh, one very very cool thing is they have this um, little center where they have uh, employees that prototype and design uh, different ergonomic tools for usage. So they have, you know, like a 3D printer where they'll print a new tool and give it to the employee that's having an issue and they'll go out and see if it works. And if it does, you know, great. And in some cases they become standard tools for the organization, but, you know, they kind of do this back and forth trying to develop tools that um, will decrease the ergonomic risk of, of a sort of job. So that was something else that was extremely cool that Boeing is doing and something that's certainly leading edge in, in their industry. Yeah, very cool. 3D print custom tools designed by the people that use them. That yep. is, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, nice. Okay, so let, let's wrap up with 2019. What does your 2019 Campbell Awards process look like? And what typically might be your, your cycle for when you look at submittals and evaluate those and, and declare your, your 2019 winner? 
Yeah, so it's actually a very good timing. So for 2019, we do have a what's called a letter of intent deadline. Um, so what that does is the letter of intent is just kind of uh, an organization stating that they are interested in applying for the award. Uh, and that deadline is coming up at the beginning of February, February 1st. What that does, if you submit a letter of intent, that just kind of opens a line of communication uh, between the organization and, and myself. And we do offer a lot of benefits to organizations who kind of make that commitment saying that I'm going to apply for this award next year. After that, the applications are actually due May 1st of 2019. And so uh, starting in February, we're actually uh, going to start putting together our review panel. So we have a panel of about 40 individuals, uh, EHS experts from all over the world, from different organizations, industries, uh, nonprofit organizations that we put together every year to actually score and judge the applications. And so we uh, begin that process in February as well. So once we get the applications in, they'll go through the judging process. And as I mentioned, uh, we select finalist organizations where we do kind of a week-long audit with those organizations. And those assessments always happen in July. And then throughout all of that process, we're kind of trying to make a decision of who gets to win the award uh, in 2019. And that actually will be announced at our NSC Congress and Expo celebration, uh, which is in the beginning of September. Okay. So your process has just begun. Regarding your um, review and uh, assessment panel, um, that's a fairly large group of people. My assumption would be that that's got to be some internal folks and some external folks that get together and sort of understand, obviously, the process and that group wades through the various submittals. Do you have um, particular scorecarding and, and that kind of things? So you have some internal process. The award's been around a while, so I'm just kind of wondering about the evolution of how you assess and basically what your internal process is, outside of all the criteria we've um, talked about today, of course, but um, some internal folks and some external? Yeah, um, so there, there are a few ex- uh, internal people um, to the National Safety Council, but a far majority of them are actually external individuals. And mm-hmm. we, sure. we get those individuals from uh, what we call our global partners. So we have a, a group of like-minded organizations from around the world. Uh, we have 15, actually, organizations, and we call them global partners, like I said. But uh, we look to those global partners to f- help find individuals that would be suited for reviewing the award. And uh, usually what we do is uh, they will nominate individuals to be reviewers each year. We will then, uh, each individual that's nominated fills out kind of a profile and provides a resume so we kind of understand their background and, and their expertise, their area of expertise. Then we essentially look at kind of the pool of nominations that we have for our review panel and we select those individuals that uh, are kind of best suited based on kind of the overall uh, expertise that we're looking for that year. Those uh, reviewers uh, go through a training process uh, where we will kind of, uh, I will say that a lot of the individuals are returning reviewers. So they've been reviewers for many years. And so they understand, you know, kind of what we're looking for. But usually about 20% of our review panel each year is first time reviewers. So new individuals to the process, which is good for us as well, because we make sure that uh, we're not always having the same group of people look at these applications. So about 20% are new, uh, new reviewers. Um, like I said, they all go through a training process where they get up to speed on how to properly do a review. And what they're actually reviewing, as I mentioned at, very, at the very beginning of our conversation, but uh, uh, we have uh, the criteria for the award uh, is essentially what we use to judge 
all of the applications. So the applications that are submitted uh, is a narrative application that follows that criteria, um, but then our judging rubric um, mirrors that as well. Um, so each of the reviewers uh, receive two applications to review. They provide a numeric score as well as written feedback to each of those different sections in the criteria. Um, and actually a benefit to organizations who apply, um, they receive all of the written feedback, not the numerical scores. Those are for kind of internal processing purposes, but um, we actually give back all of that feedback as well, which is, uh, again, a huge benefit for organizations who decide to apply because they're getting a lot of information from some EHS experts. So, mm-hmm. um, but then based on those scores, like I said, we then um, kind of take all of that into consideration. We have a conversation with our executive review committee, which is um, made up of some individuals who are from the National Safety Council, as well as our sponsoring organizations, and then a couple individuals who have been involved in the award for kind of some external influence from our winning organizations who have been involved for a long time. And we have a, a very long discussion about who the best organizations would be to go on to the finalists, kind of uh, move on to the finalist category. Hmm. Given the, uh, the structure and the, the process that you're describing, it strikes me that there would be inherent value in just apply for organizations to just apply and go through the process, notwithstanding the idea is to, is to win an award at the end of the day. But just going mm-hmm. through the process strikes me as um, something that would be extremely valuable given the, the process that you put in place and the, the, the caliber of individuals that are involved. So uh, hats off. That's a, a tremendous amount of effort. Yeah, I mean that I appreciate uh, I appreciate that comment. I mean that is that is exactly what we're trying to do. You know, like I mentioned in the beginning, you know, our we certainly have a goal to recognize organizations for you know the good things that they're doing, but we also want to make sure that we're helping all organizations improve. And that's this is definitely one of those ways. I will say it is a, it is a lot of work for an organization to apply. It is not something that you do in a weekend or something like that. Um, so we want to make sure that the work that the organization puts into it, um, they're getting something back and. You know, as like I said, at the end of the day, we're part of a nonprofit. We want to make sure that the the efforts that we're making are making a difference. And this is a very direct way that we're able to make a difference within an organization. Tremendous. This has been a wonderful conversation. So, Catherine, I I thank you uh, very much from uh, Safety Talks and uh, look forward to chatting with you soon. Absolutely. I really appreciate uh, you giving me this opportunity to talk about the Campbell Award. And it's been a pleasure. That concludes part two of my conversation with Catherine Smith. We hope you found these episodes informative. For more information, see our show notes at safeopedia.com slash podcast and thecampbellinstitute.org, where you'll find many resources in the form of white papers, articles, research reports, and much more. If you like what you heard today, or if you've liked previous podcasts, or have interesting subject matter that our audience can learn from, we want to hear from you. Check our show notes at safopedia.com slash podcast. You can email me at pat.robinson at hsebestpractices.com or contact me on Twitter at patrobinson2005.